You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here, Moms for Liberty, and today we are joined by a gentleman whose name is Billboard Chris on Twitter. Um, So if you're looking to follow Billboard Chris on Twitter, you can at Billboard Chris. Chris is a father of two girls and a very brave man that I have been watching travel across Canada and parts of the United States taking a stand against gender ideology. And um, I'm not going to do too much talking. I want Chris to, to tell us uh, about gender ideology and, and some of the, the concerns that we need to be aware of and what's happening in Canada, which is a cautionary tale. Um, but I do want to share for our, our listeners and viewers, uh, Moms for Liberty held an event with Megan Kelly when we first started. Um, shortly after we started, and Megan had had a woman named Abigail Schreier on. Abigail had written a book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And um, I had heard her speak on Megyn Kelly about this issue and um, this trans epidemic. Um, and and I, so we had Megan come and, and do a, a presentation, Chris. And, and welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast, by the way. <clears throat> sir, um, we had Megan come and she spoke about her experience speaking to Abigail. And um, gosh, after hearing from, from Megan and, and hearing Abigail Schreier speak about um, this epidemic in our country, um, this trans epi- epidemic, um, it was amazing to see people coming out of the woodwork talking about how their own children were experiencing this. So welcome to the Joyful Warrior Podcast, Chris, and let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and um, you know, this, this, what, what do we need to know about, uh, gender ideology and what's happening right now across the North America? Sure. So thank you so much for having me. So I'm just, um, I'm just a regular dad who has never done anything activism related in his life. I've got two girls. They're just supposed to turn 10 years old, my little one, and my other daughter is 12 years old. And I'm one of these guys that kind of researches things and rebuild different news items and all that. And I became aware of this craze affecting primarily girls who now think that they're boys. And uh, that's a little bit crazy enough right there, but I learned that a lot of these kids are going on to take experimental meds. They're being given drugs and opposite sex hormones, which as Abigail Schreier's book so aptly puts it, cause irreversible damage. And they're even doing surgeries on children. They'll even cut the breasts off of girls as young as 14 years old. I think I've even seen one who was 13 years old who had this done. But this isn't a fringe issue. This isn't just affecting one or two kids here or there. This is absolutely exploded because they're now teaching this in schools all across the Western world. And up here in Canada, I'd say we're the epicenter for this, especially on the West Coast. And so I just became really concerned because I see this as a cult that has infiltrated our society. It's essentially the state religion, gender ideology is, all across Canada. And it's in all of our political establishments, all of our corporations, all of our schools. And they all teach this as fact. So, so I'm going to stop you. I want to ask you, though. So I yeah. want to define gender ideology. Just <clears throat> gender ideology yeah. 
is a pseudo-religious movement which claims that children can be born in the wrong body. Um, and, I'm t and I'm taking this from your website. It claims that we all have a gender identity which takes precedence over our biological sex. And it is entirely based on stereotypes. Children are taught that it is their interests, hobbies, likes, and dislikes which determine their gender. So if, so if we're seeing children that are wanting to, you know, when I was little, I liked to play with cars and trucks. Is that something now that you'd say, well, maybe, you know, obviously I'm oversimplifying, but, you know, this idea that children being attracted to things that may not traditionally be considered a boy thing or a girl thing, is that what's driving some of this at some of the early ages? Yeah, and you're really not oversimplifying it because toys are apparently... One of the factors that determine what gender a child is or what sex, because they're trying to conflate these words gender and sex to mean the same thing. And they're even teaching now, even in universities, we have university professors teaching that biological sex doesn't really exist. So that's totally insane for the average person. And I get that this might even sound a little unbelievable to some, but when you dig into these school curriculums and you start learning what's going on, it's exactly what's happening. And so, the most used resource that is in all of these schools, in all these children's hospitals, gender clinics, is this resource called the Gender Bed Person. And it defines your gender identity as exactly what you just said, but included in that also, it states that your gender identity is based on jobs, roles, and expectations. So these are all totally regressive sexist stereotypes. This whole ideology leans on stereotypes. So if a girl is a tomboy, these girls are being taught or led to believe that they are actual boys. That so, they were born with a boy brain. So that kind of rocks my world. And I know I've spoken to some other women. You know, when you're young and you're going through puberty as a young woman, it can be very difficult. And, and it's, a, it's a, an interesting time in your life because your body's changing so much and you're looking at boys, you know, I have brothers and they're, they're not changing as much as you are, but everything about you as a girl is changing now at this point. And I remember being really, really uncomfortable and, and really at times wishing that it wasn't happening, right? That I didn't want to go through and, and, and menstruate, that I didn't want to have to wear a bra and have breasts at, you know, the age of 12, 13 years old. And so the idea that someone at that moment might have said, well, maybe you're not uh, really a girl, maybe you're a boy, blows my mind. And I think one of the biggest concerns I'm seeing right now in America, and, and I'd love for you to give us an idea of what's happening in Canada, because I know you guys are a couple of steps ahead of us, but it seems that we do have a generation of girls at risk, right? And it's almost like this boosts their social status, like that the girls all of a sudden are connecting with each other uh, uh, through this idea of all being transgender. And it's something that now is, is you know, a, a way for them to find a sense of community. Um, and, and that's concerning, right? Because with technology, it's separated us, us and, and, and how empathetic I think we are from each other. And then the idea of, you know, having this further thing that girls can connect with together that may or may not be what they're going through is concerning. And so... Could you have an idea, Chris, of, you know, how many people I've read, I, I've done research for this interview, and I've read that as many as 1.4 million adults in America um, identify as transgender. Um, 
you know, do you have any idea of what the scope is of in the United States or in Canada versus the population as to how many adults are identifying as transgender? Yeah, it depends on the region that you're in. But to give an example of how this ex- has exploded, they did a survey of all the high schools in the Pittsburgh region, Pennsylvania, and 7 to 10% of the kids said they're transgender. 7 to 10%. And we're getting, mm-hmm, wow. and we're getting similar numbers in high schools around where I live, uh, you'll get half of the kids now, literally half of the kids in a lot of these high schools will say they are part of the LGBTQ, 2SIA plus community, as if that's a community, it's obviously not. But it's, it's this identity crisis going on. All of these kids, especially the girls, are trying to find some special identities because it makes them cool. It's not cool to be what they call cis-heteronormative, you know, just a straight person. That's not cool anymore. They all need some special identity. But the kids who are identifying as trans, and you nailed it earlier when you said that going through puberty tends to be harder for girls. Their bodies are changing more. They go from just being innocent little kids to now they're getting sexualized by men especially those who develop early. This can be really hard on them. Yep. Their bodies are changing. My gosh, they might not be meeting the beauty standards. They might not be feeling like they fit in in this Instagram era. But most of these kids who end up at these gender clinics, at these children's hospitals, where they simply get affirmed as being the opposite sex, most of these kids have some mental health comorbidity going on. Okay, Almost so kids are on the yep. No, go, well, I, so I want to stop you because I want to ask. So, you have a child coming out as, and, and saying, you know, maybe I'm I'm transgender, and so they're coming to the parent or they're going to the school, and we're going to dive into this a little bit because this is an area as a former school board member and in contact with parents across the country. I'm seeing more and more the kids are going to the school and talking about it, and um, then they're being what you said affirmed. So again, explain what that means as far as a child being affirmed. Sure. So they call this gender-affirming care, which is a really nice title that anyone hearing that the first time would just go, oh, that sounds lovely. They're helping to take care of these kids. Gender-affirming care simply means they don't question the child at all. If a girl says she's a boy, they say, wonderful. We're talking about the, the nurses, the social workers that do these intake appointments, the endocrinologists who end up dishing out these drugs and hormones, they simply go along with the child's self-diagnosis. So let me back up a little bit. What we're referring to with all these kids today is a condition called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And there's a doctor, a researcher, PhD, her name's Dr. Lisa Littman. And she wrote a paper about this a few years ago, which kind of uh, blew the lid open on all of this, because this has exploded. It's absolutely exploded amongst our adolescents. But gender dysphoria is a condition where a child just doesn't really feel right in their skin. They feel like they're born in the wrong body. Now, of course, there's no such thing as that. But it might be a boy. Historically, this affected boys way more than girls. And it started at a young age. So real gender dysphoria starts with 
three, four, five, six-year-olds, it predicted maybe one out of 3,000 boys who were more feminine. It was far less than that for girls, maybe one out of 10,000. And when they grew up and they went through puberty, almost all these kids just grew out of it. This gender dysphoria, this feeling of incongruity between their birth sex and the stereotypes that are associated with that, just went away. And the majority of these kids actually grew up to gay. And this is according to all of the academic studies that we have. The most recent study that came out, it followed 139 boys who had gender dysphoria from a really young age, and it followed them for 20 years. And 87.8% of these boys simply outgrew this gender dysphoria, it went away, and the majority of them were gay. So 87%. Something... Go ahead, I'm yeah. sorry. And what's happening today is something totally different. This okay. isn't real gender dysphoria. This is a craze affecting adolescents, mostly girls, so they call it rapid onset gender dysphoria. But this has gone away from being, you know, a mental health condition to now. It's not treated as that. It's treated as though all of these kids are taught that they have a gender identity. We all have one, apparently. Now, I don't. And I'm just a man. I don't believe in this. Okay? This is like a religious belief. But when you're teaching this to kids in school from a young age, from kindergarten on up, that they have a gender identity, the next thing they're going to do is figure out what their gender identity is. Sure. They all want to fit in. And as I said previously, yeah. <clears throat> and so how do they do that? Well, they go to resources like the gender bread person or the gender unicorn or all of these other books that are now infiltrating our schools. And it's all based on stereotypes. It literally teaches that tomboys are actual boys. There's a belief out there that some girls are born with a boy brain and vice versa. And it's totally pseudoscientific nonsense. But when you get kids who are struggling in adolescence, which is super common, this can be seen as an escape route for the troubles that they're having. And I haven't gotten into the medical abuse yet because that's my main focus. But the kids who end up going on these meds and altering their bodies, all of them have some comorbidity going on. Almost half of these kids are on the autism spectrum. ADHD is very common. Sexual abuse is very common for these girls. Because what happens when a girl gets sexually abused? Why did she get abused in the first place? She got abused because she's a girl. And now there's this ideology out there that gives her an escape route. And she can just identify as a boy. And leave and that part behind. And I know that many, for many children who are sexually abused, their mental development it, it stops at that point. Um, and and at, the to- at the point of trauma. And it's very difficult uh, for them to move past it. So this unfortunately creates an avenue for that. I'm looking at the gender bread. So for, for listeners that are not familiar with this, there, there is this gender bread person and I, and it's gender bread, like a loaf of bread. Um, and, uh, like a gingerbread person, but a gingerbread person, exactly what you're thinking in your head. This is what this looks like. And then it says identity is not the same as expression. It's not the same as sex, which is not the same as gender, which is not the same as sexual orientation. And it goes through all of this and says, you have anatomical sex, 
some kind of, it's called biological sex. Then you have a gender identity, and that's your psychological sense of yourself, who in your head you know yourself to be. Then you have gender expression, which is the ways you present your gender through your actions, clothing, demeanor, your outward-facing self. And then you have attraction, which is different than everything else. Like sex, attraction isn't really a component of gender. However, we often conflate, they say, sexual orientation with gender. And so this gender-bred person is being used in schools as young, with children as young as kindergarten, correct? That's right. And there's all sorts of other lesson plans, too, for these kids. Sure. For example, here in British Columbia, there's a pronoun practice lesson plan. These kids will get a little card, and it'll say, Hi, my name's Sheila. Please call me they. And their job is to go around the classroom introducing themselves with the pronouns they, them. Or, or maybe a girl will have the pronouns he, him, even. So they're teaching kids at this very young age that they can just be female or male, whatever they want. Well, and my question is also, what and, does it done to, do to the mind of a kindergartner when, the first, when, it, when they're going to school and, and they're being told that perhaps their parents who have raised them up until this point might have been wrong about them, about something you know, that's a big part of who they are, right, whether they're a boy or a girl? Oh, right. This, this is totally subverting parental authority as well. And I'll get into how parental rights are all being stripped away. But that same image there, the gender-bed person, it teaches that there's more than two sexes, right. even. And anyway, my whole premise is that, you know, obviously there's no right way to be a boy or a girl. If a girl is more masculine, if a boy is more feminine... Wonderful. It is what it is. Right. So I that's agree. gender expression. Right. But what, what they're doing now, and everyone would agree with that. All these trans activists would agree with that too. And so I literally go out on the street and I go to busy intersections where there's lots of foot traffic. I go to events. I just try to reach as many eyeballs as I can because I wear these signs that say children can't consent to puberty blockers or children are never born in the wrong body. I have one sign that's pretty popular, which is the definition of a dad, which is a human male who protects his kids from gender ideology. I love that one. But I just have conversations, and I've had several thousand of these conversations on the street, and I do podcasts almost every day now. But um, I just, when people come up to me with a lot of hostility, I just tell them, look, there's no right way to be a boy or a girl if someone's gender nonconforming. Wonderful. And they get so confused because they expect me to be some bigot. Right. But they have this huge blind spot because they don't see that everyone agrees that we shouldn't put kids in stereotypical boxes, but they don't see that this whole ideology relies on stereotypes. Right. That you say children should be free to be who they are, not indoctrinated to believe they were born in the wrong body, which is where we are going with this. And I want to talk with you about when we talk about affirmative care, that every time a child's coming out as as transgender, that the first reaction is supporting them in a process that then involves puberty blockers and other steps. And so let's talk about puberty blockers, Chris. What in the world is going on? What kind of drugs are being given to these kids? Okay, so when a child now says that they're the opposite sex, opposite gender, whatever, they'll say both, they will go to see a specialist at a gender clinic at a children's hospital, or they might end up at Planned Parenthood where they will dish out opposite sex hormones on the very first appointment. Wow. 
but they go in for this appointment and they're simply affirmed. This is the only condition in the world where a child self-diagnoses themselves and the doctors just go along with it. And what these doctors should be doing, and historically what has been done and what has worked, is, first of all, you do mental health assessments. You look into the other comorbidities, because as I said, these kids, tons of them have autism, ADHD, there's been trauma, abuse. A lot of these kids are foster kids. They're wildly overrepresented. There's a lot of indigenous children as well, way overrepresented. It's all these kids who are struggling with something. But anyway, they go into this gender clinic. They say, the little girl says, hey, I'm a boy, actually. They go, wonderful. We're so glad that you found your true self. And they give this drug. It's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a puberty-blocking drug. It's never been approved for this purpose. The drug most used in North America is called Lupron, L-U-P-R-O-N. This is a drug for endometriosis in women. That's what it was approved for by the FDA. It was also approved for prostate cancer. This is the same exact drug that has been given to pedophiles because it chemically castrates them. It destroys the sex drive. But what this drug does is it stops the pituitary gland from releasing luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormones, which in turn, in girls, these trigger the ovaries to release estrogen, and boys triggers the testes to release testosterone. So this is what signals the beginning of puberty. And girls' breasts start to grow, their hips get wider, boys' penises will grow, bones gain a lot of density during puberty. When they're on this drug, which they stay on for the entirety of their puberty, none of that will happen. So the whole idea of this drug is they want to keep these kids looking cosmetically Neutral, I suppose, because if you have a girl developed, she's going to look more like a woman. And the idea is that will increase her dysphoria and make her suicidal because now she looks more like a woman. So they want to prevent her looking like a woman and then they'll give her testosterone. That's the second step. It's always two steps. Block puberty, block their own natural hormones, which, as we know from all the academic studies, their own hormones are the cure for this gender dysphoria. That's what's going to make them feel better about themselves in the long run. But they don't get that. Then they get the opposite sex of hormones, and testosterone causes all sorts of damage. Of course, it's going to cause facial hair, body hair. They're going to get a deep voice. These are all irreversible. Long-term use of testosterone causes vaginal and uterine atrophy. So after four or five years, these girls have to get hysterectomies. Oftentimes, they're getting oophorectomies, where they cut out their ovaries as well. And when they're on testosterone, when they go on testosterone, they have to stay on it for life. So we are taking perfectly healthy children who are just confused or going through a traumatic time in their life, and we are sterilizing them because drugs and hormones combined lead to infertility, and we are turning them into lifelong medical patients. And Dr. Marcy Bowers, who is the incoming president, of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, even said in an interview recently with Abigail Schreier that a lot of these kids, when they grow up, will never be able to have an orgasm. So we're producing infertile, anorgasmic young adults, cutting off their breasts as children, and not doing any mental health assessment. They are just giving out these drugs and hormones, oftentimes on the very first appointment. So the question, Chris, is like, how is this legal? 
So talk to me a little bit about Canada. Let's talk about the United States. And then, because as you've said, a lot, I mean, 80, you said 87% uh, had of, of, of young men who had thought that they were transgender as they got older found that they were gay. And, and so if they had gone through these steps of transitioning, I mean, obviously they would, that's going to lead them to a life of, of never being sexually satisfied through the blueberry blockers and, and I mean, never having healthy relationships, uh, with another person, um, and, and all of these health consequences. So, I mean, you're, you're transitioning these kids beginning this transition. How many of them end up detransitioning? Do we have numbers on that? There's never been a study and these gender clinics don't do follow-up with these kids. So we don't have solid numbers. No follow-up. So they do this all with them and then no follow-up. That's right. So the parents parents are left to pick up the pieces. That's right. And all of their former community will reject them outright as soon as they say they're not actually transgender. Because this isn't about helping these kids to find their true selves. This is about making them transgender. Why, though, Chris? Why is it happening? Why the push money. for everyone to be transgender? Well, there's been a lot of money behind this. There are a few billionaires in the U.S. There are two trans women, so biological males. One is named Jennifer Pritzker. He's an heir to the Hilton fortune. Yes. The whole Pritzker family has been very involved in that. In this, uh, involved with Barack Obama as well politically, helping to push this stuff through. If that Another name sounds familiar, Americans, that's the governor of the state of Illinois, Governor Pritzker. There you go. Yeah, but Jennifer Pritzker is, is not the governor. It's Correct. just another member of that family. Mm-hmm. But they're all pushing this. There's another billionaire named Martin Rothblatt. He's the founder of XM Sirius Radio. He's a former military. And so within this transgender umbrella, you get different types of trans. You get these middle-aged men who have a condition called osogynophilia. This is a fetish where they get aroused by the idea of being a woman and dressing like a woman. This is totally different to what's happening to our kids today. But it's these men who have been funding a lot of this for a couple decades now. And it gets really weird. It becomes, there's a transhumanist agenda to this as well. Martin Rothblatt is a transhumanist who literally has created a robotic bust in the image of his wife. And it's his goal to upload a consciousness essentially into this robot. He believes that we can live forever on the internet. Yes. I've done a little reading about that. That's a, that's a rabbit hole. We may not have time to go down during this podcast, but no, no, no. But, but I think that, you know, it's important to mention and it belies the fact that, you know, we have some people here with some really serious mental issues. Um, and our children are, are being manipulated um, by a movement that they seem to have started uh, with no concern for what the long-term repercussions are for these human beings. And so just to mention now, you know, Chris, I have um, had the unfortunate experience of now meeting parents whose children have been I mean, they're lovely people, I feel for them, but they have had the, the unfortunate experience of their child's school putting their child into a gender transition program. This is middle school students, sixth grade, we see it um, primarily, it seems, um, without the consent 
and knowledge of the parent. And most recently, um, a little girl um, tried to commit suicide while at school. And um, the parents did not know she was on a gender transition plan, um, but the school had to let them know about it when they came to the school while their daughter was being Baker acted, um, where she then went on to another location where she tried to commit suicide again. And so here's this child going through this, you know, questioning time of her life. And the school has now created this whole plan for her, Chris. At school, she uses a different name, and she's and they're keeping it all from the parents, right? Um, and and so, as you said before, there being these comorbidities, you know, obviously this young woman was struggling with some very serious issues. Another child that I know was on the autism spectrum, same situation. Parents had no idea. So, you know, the idea that a child could go to a counselor at school and share this information and then that they could perhaps be put into a, a situation where they're going to Planned Parenthood, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but, you know, can a child just be taken to Planned Parenthood by a school without the parents knowing and be put on these drugs? I don't, I don't know exactly the answer to that. I do know that I think it is happening, but I don't want to say for sure. No, and, and I think it is happening too. And, and what we know is that this is a slippery slope. We have, you know, there there are a lot of people that'll say, well, you know, um, you know, they're they're looking in California. They want to change the age of informed consent by a minor to 12, I think it was. And so, you yeah. know, we're seeing this huge push of parental rights being kind of stripped from parents and and yet the parents as we've said are the ones who are picking up the pieces because there's no real accountability for any of the medical providers um, or any of these school staff who are pretending to be mental health counselors so let's talk about um i mean let's talk about parental rights um you're a dad okay. of two i'm a mom of four um yeah so i'll get into that I, the reason i just mentioned that transhumanist yes the transhumanism thing the only reason I mention that is because essentially these people see our bodies as just a shell and that we all have this gendered soul inside. This is where this basically comes into a religious component. And so they just think our bodies are irrelevant. And on the subject of Planned Parenthood um, and other gender clinics at children's hospitals or wherever, Kids are absolutely getting these meds and hormones without parental knowledge. And for example, Washington State just passed a law a few weeks ago now where kids can use their parents' insurance to get their drugs and hormones and even surgery, so double mastectomies as young as 13 years old, without their parents' knowledge or consent. My goodness. So the parents' insurance has to pay for it, but the parents don't even get to know about it. And here in BC, we have this dad who went to jail last year. So we're talking about parental rights. He's 13. His daughter signed a consent form at the children's hospital to go on testosterone. She was groomed at school to believe she was a boy the very first year they started teaching gender identity as a fact. She was sent to a psychologist named Wallace Wong, who gave a talk at the Vancouver Library a couple of years ago where he said he's transitioning over a 1,000 kids including one as young as two years and nine months old. Wow. So these people are crazy. But that psychologist sent this girl to the children's hospital. She decided to go on testosterone. Dad wouldn't sign the consent form. The endocrinologist 
sent him a letter which stated he could be a friend and advisor to his child. A friend and advisor. But he couldn't intervene in the medical process. So here's his little baby girl going on puberty blockers and testosterone. She's going to become infertile. And he's powerless to stop it. So he kept speaking out. A judge gave him a gag order not to speak out. And he kept violating the gag order. Good for him. And a judge threw him in jail for six months. Are you kidding? And another mom I talked to. No. Wow. Rob, Rob Hoogland is his name. H-O-O-G-L-A-N-D. I live tweeted from the, tr- from the trial last year. But another mother I talked to in Victoria, B.C., same thing. Very first day of school, the teacher asked the kids for their preferred name and pronouns. And this girl was 11 years old at the time. And she was going through a really hard time. She's since been diagnosed with ADHD and depression. Her parents had just separated. They just moved to a new city. She developed really young. She had D-cups at the age of 11. And life was just hard. And so the very first day of school, she decided, when the teacher asked her preferred names and pronouns and all that, she decided to be a boy. And she was sent to the school counselor, and the school counselor was coaching her on how to get chest binders, so these tight compression garments that crush your chest. These binders, the counselor was coaching her to get these without her mom's knowledge. So these... You get a woke teacher, your kids are in trouble because these people are grooming their children and they see parents as a threat to this ideology and they'll try to hide this stuff from them. And all of these high schools now, depends where you're at, but most of them will have a club, an after-school club called a Gay Straight Alliance or a Queer Straight Alliance. And that's where these kids will go. These kids might not be sitting in in school, they're having a hard time, whatever, but they go to these clubs and they get love bombed. Like any cult, they get completely love-bombed. They get all this love. They come out as transgender. They get celebrated. And so whereas before, maybe they weren't getting any attention, now they come out as trans and the whole school will celebrate them. And as you said, the school will hide this from the parents. It is the policy, written policy, in so many different teachers' federations, the BC Teachers' Federation, where I'm from, I can download it and send it to you. It states right in there, they will only tell the parents that their child has changed their name and pronouns at school and come out as trans if the child consents to it. Or as we saw here in Florida, if the child tries to harm themselves. Yeah, that's right. And let's go in the court, right? Yes. One of these cases. So this is totally insane. There's no science to back any of this. This is all just ideology. And it's exploding. There are 42,000 young women and girls with GoFundMe's right now trying to raise money to get a double mastectomy. I'm sorry, can you say that again? That's just the one. On GoFundMe, mm-hmm. there are over 42,000 girls and young women trying to raise money to cut their breasts off. Wow, that's horrible. At CHEO, the Children's Hospital in Eastern Ontario, the wait list, I was just there. I'm going back to Ottawa tonight. The wait list is over 1,000 kids to get into this gender clinic. Virtually every high school in the country, I would say for sure you'll have like 5% of these kids now saying that they're transgender. It's oftentimes higher. And it's the most vulnerable kids who end up getting medicalized straight away. And we're not allowed to talk about this. Apparently we're huge bigots for talking about this. I've been attacked. I've had my arm broken. I've been arrested twice. Um, 
all sorts of madness just for wanting to have a conversation about these things. So, well, you're a very brave person. I mean, I have to little... tell you, Chris, when I saw your Twitter page and we had some similar people that we followed and I started following you and watching your travels and, you know, just watching the, the engagement, your level of engagement with people and wanting to have conversations. I mean, you're an incredibly brave person to be out there. And, and so for people who didn't really get, I should have done a better job, Billboard Chris, Chris stands out and he shared some of the signs um, that he wears with a billboard on. And um, as he said before, you know, one of them is, is a what is a dad? It's a human male who protects his children. Um, and, and, you has, and you mentioned a couple others. But, you know, it, it seems odd to me that we have these children struggling and making these lifelong decisions at young ages, extremely young ages. And, you know, are they... Are they able to give informed consent? And I know there was a high court decision in London um, that I want to chat with you a little bit about that I learned more about on your website. And again, um, your website is billboardchris.com for anyone that wants to check it out. Um, let's talk about this high court decision that ruled that children are unlikely to be able to give informed consent to undergo treatment with puberty blocking drugs. Yeah, so in December of 2020, they ruled that children can't consent. Exactly what my sign said, because kids obviously aren't able to understand the immediate consequences of this treatment in physical and psychological terms. They don't, we don't even know what these drugs and hormones are doing to kids long-term because there's never been a clinical study. These drugs are used off-label. They weren't approved for this purpose. And if you look at these consent forms, it literally states on the consent forms for testosterone that we have no long-term information, that we don't know the long-term impact. Isn't it so weird? long-term information. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it so, if we don't know the long-term information, how could you possibly be prescribing these things? I think we're kind of looking at this, in COVID has opened up, I think, the eyes for a lot of people in America with some of the drugs that they've wanted to use, whether they were monoclonal antibodies or other types of treatment that may not have been meant for COVID, but people have said that there may be an, an option. And we're talking about adults wanting to use these drugs, right, to help themselves when they're sick. And that's something that now is being said that, you know, well, it's not meant for this, it hasn't been approved for this, so no, you cannot use a doctor can't prescribe it. Here we are, our, our youngest, most vulnerable citizens in, in our countries. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be concerning anyone that the children are being prescribed drugs, that we have no idea what the long-term effects will be for them. Yeah. And all these kids already have other mental health things going on. But we don't know the long-term impact. These, we don't know. These kids are told that they can just go on these drugs and that they're just a pause button. So there's two things that these activists always say to sell this to families and to these kids. They say, oh, puberty blockers are fully reversible. They're just a pause button. And they give children time to think about their gender and what they want to do going forward. First of all, it's a lie. It's not a pause button. You can't go back in time. If you're on puberty blockers from the age of 11 to 16 and you come off, there's no magic time machine to take you back to 11 where you can go through these formative years again. They're gone. But the fact of the matter is, and we know this from gender clinics studies themselves, 98% of these children go on to the next step, which is the opposite sex hormone. And kids aren't able to understand really these long-term impacts 
kids aren't able to understand what it's going to be like when they're 30 years old and they're infertile. I mean, talk to any 20-year-old woman and ask her if she wants to have babies. Most will say no way. That's what I was just thinking about. I was thinking back to being like 13 years old. And, you know, I mean, you talked a little bit about the Instagram culture we have, this hyper-sexualized environment that we have where girls are supposed to be sexy at younger and younger ages. What are you supposed to look like? You know, and that's the idea that you're making decisions about whether or not you're going to want to have children at the age of, you know, 13. I mean, no, you know, I, I couldn't, of course not, you know, did, but, but yet, you know, it seems like they're kind of being bombarded with all of this sexuality, right? Whether it's they're in that they have the wrong sex or the wrong gender, or, you know, when you look at some of the books that we have coming into the libraries and that are being written by people who have experienced trauma in their lives that are, are speaking about, you know, incest or rape and pedophilia and all of these things. And, you know, I, I said to someone the other day, I think it was a New York Times reporter, I said, you know, do we want kids who are 11, 12 having sex? And they laughed. And I said, no, I'm serious. I'm asking you an honest question. Like, are you good with that? Like, as a country, are we okay with 11-year-olds having sex? And they said, well, no, no. And I said, so why are we talking to them about it all the time? I mean, there, there's a latency period in children's sexual development from the time that they go through potty training and all of that, and then there's a break, and then before they hit puberty, we're, we're kind of erasing that portion of their lives by getting them to have this hyper-focus on their sexuality. That's right. And kids don't, they're not told all their side effects. They're not told all the negative effects of cross-sex hormones or opposite sex hormones which follow the puberty blockers. They're not always told what it's going to be like to have a loss of fertility. They're not told that their sexual function is going to be destroyed for life, that they'll never be able to have an orgasm, or that they can't have a lifelong relationship, and that the evidence based for this is very uncertain because there is none. And, you know, Chris, I'm, I'm glad it's that you reading. talk about that. Yeah. I'm glad you talk about that because I'm married. I have four children. My husband and I have an excellent sex life. It's a great part of our marriage and our relationship. And I feel like that's something we need to celebrate more. I mean, it's wonderful to have a, a committed relationship with another adult. And I always feel like, you know, what people, what, what consenting adults choose to do is, is their business, right? Um, but I think that the idea that a child is, is not going to be, or, or that a person is not going to be able to have any type of like healthy sexual relationship in their lives is really so sad. Yeah, it's all nuts. I mean, to put this, just to break this down really simply, we are a society that is trying to change the sex of children. That's all anyone really needs to know. It doesn't matter what the ideology is. It's irrelevant, Billy. Only crazy religious sects, religious cults, would ever harm a child like this. It's totally nuts, and there's no evidence based for it, but the one thing that these activists will always say, and it's a complete lie, is that if you don't let these children transition, they will kill themselves. And so this obviously causes paralysis in parents. They don't know what to do. They're told by these endocrinologists that you have two choices. You can have a trans kid or a dead kid. Wow. And so they'll go along with it. And, they, and no discussion and of it, no again, as you said, the other comorbidities, the other mental issues that may be plaguing the child. No, none. none. They don't talk about how historically talk therapy is, and watchful waiting is the approach that's been used, and it's very successful, and most kids just grow out of it. 
I mean, as a human species, we've been on this earth for a few hundred thousand years. There's never been this wave of childhood suicides just because they have to go through puberty and they're born in the wrong body. This is a cult in our society. And it's what they've done. They've been so successful because they conflate this with sexual orientation. They try to sell this as the new gay rights movement. And so no one wants to, of course, say or speak up against someone's sexuality because your sexuality is immutable. You love who you love. It is what it is. And you should never try to change people's sexuality. That's called conversion therapy. But they're passing all these conversion therapy bills now, which everyone applauds. But what they do in all of these bills is they throw in sexual orientation and gender identity. So it's being made a crime to try to change someone's sexual orientation. I mean, conversion therapy for someone's sexual orientation really isn't happening at all in society anyway. This isn't a problem. But the real reason these bills are being introduced is they want to stop people from talking to kids and helping these kids who are struggling with gender identity issues. So in Washington State, in California, in all sorts of states, all throughout Canada now, we have these conversion therapy bills where in Canada, for example, a parent can go to jail for five years a counselor, a faith leader, anybody, if they help a girl to feel comfortable as a girl. I'm sorry. Wait, I don't understand that. What What do you mean by that? I don't understand. Okay. okay. It's totally fine to indoctrinate a girl in school to think that she's a boy. That's okay. That is seen as helping a child to become their true self. But if you sit down with this confused girl and you help her eventually to feel comfortable as a girl, they will call that conversion therapy. Wow, because you're not affirming. You're suggesting that perhaps there may be some some other issues to work through. Yeah. That's crazy. Five years in jail. So that's where you are in Canada. So there are all these... Yep. Yeah, or a $2 million fine. (laughs) And what happens is, and I'm going to read you... Uh, an excerpt from an email I received from a mother in Washington state. Okay. So this mother reached out to me because she couldn't find a counselor for her daughter in the entire state of Washington because this daughter was struggling with gender issues and no counselor will touch these kids. They don't want to deal with them because they don't want to get in trouble. So this woman was reaching out to me to try to find a counselor somewhere in the world for her child. And so she said, I'm a parent of an ROGD daughter, so rapid onset gender dysphoria. This girl's 17 now. She told us about four years ago that she's trans. That was after being demi-boy, nano-boy, asexual, demi-romantic, and non-binary, meaning not male or female. Right. So at the age of 13, she was already on her sixth identity, and this is not uncommon. And now she was saying she's trans, and she's still saying she's trans four years later. And they're trying to find help for her, just counseling, because they can't find anyone in the entire state because of this conversion therapy bill. So no, no counselor, no psychotherapist want to risk their license or go into jail by talking to these kids. So well, where do these kids go then? They go to the gender clinic where they get medicalized straight away because that's the only procedure they do with these kids anymore. 
Yeah, it's blowing my mind because we're, we're seeing that, we see that even with, and, and, I, and I keep going back to this because I want American parents to pay attention because some of the things that we've seen with COVID are kind of the stepping stones to us going to where Canada is, where this is now, I mean, you see Washington State, California, Oregon, we're seeing, you know, it, it's wild to me, Chris, because it's like, you know, it's happening and some of us know it's happening and more people are learning that it's happening, but the new people that are learning are saying, no, this can't be happening. How is this happening? And then they're seeing it too. And so how do we accelerate this, this, you know, shared understanding that, you know, our children are truly in danger? Um, I don't know if you saw Black Lives Matter at school. They just put out for Black History Month, I guess, as part of, of, of 13, they have 13 guiding principles and resources. Uh, and, and two of them are queer affirming and then trans affirming. And they say, and this, and this is being used in schools all over America. We are committed to embracing and making space for trans siblings to participate and lead. We are committed to being self-reflexive and doing the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege, which means if you're straight, I guess you have privilege and they want to make sure that if you're straight, you don't feel or have any privilege that they perceive you have. And then uplift black trans folks. Um, especially black trans women um, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, this is this is a curriculum that's in schools right now. So cisgender means that you identify as your birth sex. Okay. So it means you're a girl and you identify as a girl. But you, you can be gay, so I'm, I apologize. So you can be cisgender, which yeah. is you identify as a, as a girl or a boy, but, you, but you're gay. You can be gay, so then you're sexual. So, I mean, I'm trying to keep it straight because it is very confusing. If I'm confused as an adult for a child, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and they, they changed the meaning of words and they introduced new words purposely to confuse people. But, you know, this is, what we call also, I mean, we can get into so many things, but this is kind of transing away the gays. So, for example, I'll give a proper analogy here. In Iran, it is illegal to be homosexual. Right. It's punishable by death to be a gay man. But it's okay to be a trans woman. So these gay men have a choice. They can flee the country, they can be killed, or they can transition to become a trans woman, and then they can be in a relationship with a man. We're doing that here, and we call this progress. It's totally insane. The women's soccer team in Iran has eight men on it. <laughs> really? Because they've all transitioned. Oh, so I know, I know. I, I, well, I mean, so, uh, you know, I wanted to speak with you. You're from Canada. I lived for a short time in my life in Canada. It's a beautiful country. Um, but, you know, I think what we're seeing in, in, with a lot of different things is that Canada is, is accelerated rapidly down this path and America is following close behind. And so what lessons can we learn um, as Americans right now to help to stop this from continuing to happen um, in, in, in our schools and in our country. You know, Moms for Liberty, the work that we do is centered around parental rights. And, you know, Chris, one of the things that I say all the time is I don't have to agree with your decisions as a parent to respect your right to make decisions for your children um, as long as those decisions are not... Um, 
you know, criminal decisions, right? We have, we have laws to protect children. In this situation, we don't have laws to protect children um, from these harms happening at the hands of adults. We're working towards that, but you're right. Every time parents are saying, wait a second, maybe I don't want you talking to my child about their gender identity without me knowing and being a part of that conversation, those parents are being called bigots. They're, they're being told that they don't accept their children or love their children as they are. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that the vast majority of parents very much love their children and want to do what they think is best for them. Even in this situation, right, with the affirmation, I think parents are being told this is what's best to do for your child. And they have doctors and telling them that, right, psychiatrists telling them that. So they're trying to do, you know, what they think or what they're being told is in the best interest of their child. How do we encourage parents to see themselves as the expert of their own children, and how do we get the right information to them if they're struggling right now with something similar to this in their own house? I don't have an easy answer for that, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is going out on the street and having conversations because it was impossible for me to get this message out in Canada. I, I started this whole campaign in September 2020 with a huge billboard, a real billboard, on the street heading into downtown Vancouver. And this billboard said simply, I love J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling has spoken out about this, about how women's rights are getting affected and how there's this medical scandal going on with kids. And in the U.K., there's a women's rights activist named Posey Parker who had put up a poster at the train station in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh which said, I love J.K. Rowling. And it got taken down the next day hmm. because some people on Twitter complained. And I got tired of our speech being censored, so, and I've been learning all about this all year. So I put up a billboard that said the same thing in Vancouver. It got paint bombed overnight. A Vancouver politician said it was hate speech, and she pressured the sign company to take it down the next day. So I followed that up with a campaign throughout the United States, putting up billboards that said the same thing throughout Utah, Portland, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Times Square. And then, because I can't literally get this message out in Canada any other way, no sign company would let me put up any messaging. I had signs made that I wear on my back because this isn't hate speech. And they can't literally take a sign off my back legally. So I just went out and did this. But it's a really good question you ask. The only way I can see us doing this right now is simply by having conversations, doing these podcasts, trying to get articles printed in publications, and I really do think we need a documentary series focusing on these detransitioners because they are the ones whose stories we need to hear. So I was down in Seattle a couple months ago and I went to the University of Washington to stand outside there because it's university kids who are really being indoctrinated as well. This is being pushed hard in all of the universities. But this young woman, she's 22, she came out with me and when she was 16, her two best friends were trans, and this is a social contagion. So because they were trans, she eventually got indoctrinated to believe that she herself was trans. And so at 16, she cut off her breast. She went on testosterone for three years. And at 19, she realized she'd made a big mistake. And so she has detransitioned. Um... But she can never have, can she have a baby? I mean, can she have a baby? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I, she might not have been on testosterone long enough. Maybe she still has a fertility, but I'm not sure. 
She'll never be able all, to breastfeed. All the friends, of course, cut her off. Right. And so she's 22 now. Insurance paid for her to get her breasts cut off. And, of course, no insurance anywhere in the country will pay for the reconstructive surgery. They'll pay to deconstruct, but they won't pay to reconstruct. But, you know, she just fell into this because her friends were into it. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing entire peer groups of girls now identifying as transgender. There's this other woman. Her name's Helena. She's back east. She decided she was trans. And at the age of 18 or 19, she learned that Planned Parenthood would give her testosterone. So the closest Planned Parenthood to her was five hours away. So she drove the five hours to Planned Parenthood. And the clinician there didn't do any background check. They didn't look into this girl's history. They knew nothing about her. The gender consultant simply said, wow, driving five hours to get here shows real commitment. You must really be trans. And so they just gave her testosterone, a large dose of it as well. And off she drove. So she ended up detransitioning as well. But this is what they're doing. They're just handing this stuff out like candy. And what can parents do to stop this? Well, the transgender lobby has a ton of money behind them, and they have a huge head start. There's something close to $500 million being spent every year pushing this. There is a handbook that was produced by Thompson Reuters Corporation, and Denton's law firm, which claims to be the biggest law firm in the world. It's a 65-page handbook, which lays out all the strategies for these activists to use in changing legislation and getting these crazy conversion therapy bills passed all over the world and in getting these materials into schools. So we simply need to make noise with our teachers, with our principals, and with the school boards. We need to tell our kids' teachers that we're not okay with gender ideology being taught to our kids, and we need to arm our kids with the truth. We need to have conversations with our children so that when these lies come to them in school, they have a bit of armor to protect themselves. Because if they've never had these discussions, and now they have this second biggest authority figure in their life telling them that this is true, well, of course they're going to believe it because they're kids. But unfortunately, schools aren't really a safe place anymore for these children. And that sounds a bit conspiratorial of me to say, but it's simply the truth, because we're not just teaching math and science anymore. We have political activists who have succeeded in getting ideology taught in our schools. So, Chris, you know, I think American parents would agree with you that what they're seeing happening in schools is concerning to them. And you're right. Parents need to be speaking to their children at younger and younger ages about these types of things. And I think a lot of parents, you know, they don't really want to have to have this conversation with their children. But I'm telling you, parents, you need to talk to your kids about the fact that there may be things that they are introduced to at school, which are antithetical to the teaching in your home. And you need to arm your children um, with the tools to be able to navigate those um, conversations and to know that you as the parent are, have the fundamental right to direct their upbringing and that whatever is happening in that school, if it's trying to take you as the parent out of your child's life, the child should see that as a warning sign and they should make you aware of it. So Chris, you said you're going to be in Washington, D.C. early March. Do you bring extra billboards with you if people want to come out and stand with you and, and help you? I do. I'll have seven or eight different signs with me. So, yeah, I'd love it if people come stand with me because, of course, that has a greater impact than just one person standing out there on the street by himself, right? Yeah, and I just want to thank you. Um, You are obviously being driven by um, a real concern and a love for children. Um, 
as a mom, I, I really feel and understand that. I've spoken again to parents whose children are going through this right now. And, um, you know, they need your support. They need our support. They need our help to stand. It's oftentimes it's hard to come out when your child has been put into a program like this at school. When you come out and say you have concerns about it, you are often vilified um, and, and made to seem like you don't love your child or you don't accept them for who they are. And I don't think that is anything but f- anything could be further from the truth that I've from what I've seen with parents who are concerned about um, their children being exposed to um, gender ideology in ways they never could have imagined. So um, any closing words, Chris? I just want to thank you again for being so brave and, um, and, and speaking out in the way that you are and, and helping all of us to learn a little bit more about this really uh, sensitive and important subject today. Yeah, I just say, you know, there's nothing more important than our kids. As parents, our lives change fundamentally when we have children and our whole goal then becomes about making sure they have a great future. And we have some really terrible forces in society now who are trying to usurp parental rights and who are trying to harm our kids. And especially for parents with kids on the autism spectrum, they really need to understand everything about this ideology because those are the kids who are most vulnerable to this. But ultimately, I would just ask parents to please get up to speed, have conversations with your friends, family, and coworkers. And if they're able to support me at all, that'd be lovely as well. I have a little donate button on my website because I've quit my job and I'm doing this full-time, traveling around to spread the word. So any support is lovely, but ultimately, please keep having conversations. And if I come to a state near you, hopefully you can come out with me. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, Thank you again, and uh, much love to your family. Um, I know it's a big sacrifice to travel around the country like this, but um, you are doing important work, and we are thankful for that. So have a wonderful day, Chris, and thank you again. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Hey, Joyful Warriors, I know at the end of the podcast, we normally end with a chat with Pat, but I have a special guest that I've asked to join us this week. Her name is January Littlejohn. She is a mom, uh, a Florida resident, and she's going to add a little bit to to some of the things that Chris and I spoke about that you've listened to so far in the podcast. So, so far, you've heard from Chris Elston, Billboard Chris, and he's talked about his experiences with gender ideology and some of the concerns he obviously has as he has seen it spread across uh, Canada and into the United States and... um, as Abigail Schreier says, irreversible damage uh, being done to these children, really ending up in, in sterilization of a generation, which is uh, extremely frightening. Um, so January uh, is going to tell us a, li- a, a little bit about her experience with her daughter in Florida public schools. Um, last week, if you listen to our podcast, Tina and I were saying that we were going to be headed up to Tallahassee to um, support some legislation. We brought 200 moms with us up to Tallahassee, and we got to see HB7, in HB 1557 here in Florida uh, be debated and passed on the House floor. I'm going to focus on HB 1557, which is going before the Florida Senate this week. And um, it's the bill, if you've heard about it, uh, the real name is Parental Rights in Education. Uh, but if you've uh, listened to Jen Psaki or anyone in the news, the media has decided to call it the Don't Say Gay Bill, and nothing could be further from the truth. The truth of the matter is that this bill prohibits schools from discussing uh, gender identity and sexual orientation and in grades um, K through three. We're talking about primary grades, small children. Um, And it also gives some other safeguards to parents to be able to be recognized um, as uh, the 
people that should be directing their children's education and that schools should not be keeping things from parents about their children that we want to be a part of their lives. And so January Littlejohn, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. Thank you for testifying, January. Thank you for going and speaking to HB 1557. Let's let the audience hear. I've heard your story, but I want everyone in America to understand that this isn't some hypothetical situation. Even in the free state of Florida, we are, we are battling gender ideology. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience? Sure, I'd be happy to. So during the summer of 2020, um, our daughter became confused about her sex. And this was after three other friends in her friend group at her middle school had started suddenly identifying as transgender. Prior to school starting, we notified one of her teachers via email because we had partnered with the school multiple times, Tiffany. I was very involved in my children's schools prior to COVID and the shutdown. I was even volunteer of the year at this middle school where the violation occurred. So I knew most of the teachers. Um, my daughter also has ADHD, so I was frequently involved in her 504 plan. And I really saw the school as a partner with me in all aspects of my child's education. So when I reached out to the teacher, this felt no different to me. I let her know that she was experiencing distress, that we had enlisted help of a mental health counselor, that we were not affirming any change at home but that we felt at this point, we couldn't prevent her from going by a nickname at school. That's how we thought it would be treated. So several weeks later, my daughter gets in the car after school and she told me she had a meeting at school where they asked her which restroom she wanted to use. I could not believe what I was hearing. I immediately emailed the guidance counselor and asked, when was the meeting? Why was there a meeting? Why wasn't I informed or um, brought into this meeting? And the guidance counselor and the assistant principal called me back and told me I could not be given any information regarding the meeting and that by law, my 13-year-old daughter had to be the one to authorize my notification of the meeting or attendance to the meeting. Wow. Yes. And I've was, heard this story before. It shocks me every time. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just it, shocking. It's still, yes. It's still shocking to me, frankly. Um, I was very confused by this. So they told me my only recourse was to go speak at the district with um, the equity officer who happened to be the assistant superintendent in Leon County, which of course I did. So this took multiple weeks going back and forth with her and we finally were able to get an in-person meeting, um, in meeting with the principal of the middle school. And that's where we were shown a six-page document called the Leon County District Transgender Gender Nonconforming Student Support Plan that was completed with our 13-year-old daughter behind closed doors with three school officials that consisted of the guidance counselor, the vice principal, and a social worker I had never met. Wow. Now, I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida, so I know what is ethical and unethical when it comes to the treatment of minors. You must have parent permission when you're doing any kind of mental health treatment or decision-making with a child. They really took away our ability to protect our child because in this six-page document, they asked her, 
which restroom she preferred to use and which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. Mm -hmm. And then the most egregious act in this plan was it directed staff to use my daughter's birth name when speaking to us and to use a different name in school with friends and teachers. So essentially, the plan directed school staff to keep this a secret and conceal from us that the meeting had ever taken place. Now, mind you, I was the one that notified the school that my daughter was in distress in the first place. There is no reason that they ever should have systematically cut us out of this plan. And they had no reason to believe. So a lot of the argument that I have seen happening with this is that they're saying, you know, um, I've heard different advocacy groups, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but I've heard different advocacy groups and, and fighting against some of the legislation talking about, well, you know, the, the kids are going to get abused at home if they come out or if they say that they're trans, they, they can't be open with their parents. And so, um, you know, we need to we need to create safe spaces for them. But, you know, January, what does it do when the school's saying you're safe here and you're not safe at home? And obviously you had you had clearly demonstrated that you were not a threat to your own child. Well, and that's correct. And that's that's really the point of this entire situation is they are systematically cutting out parents, loving parents with no due process. And this is a lie that they are using to drive a dangerous wedge between parents and their children. When they cut parents out of these decisions, it sends the message to their children that their parents, their parents' input and authority are no longer important and that children need to be protected from their parents instead of by their parents. And that is something I had always prided myself on. I always told my children, my number one job is to protect you. I am not your friend, you have lots of friends, but you only have one mom. And when the school met with my child and did a you know, a social transition without me being present, because this went way beyond a nickname. Yeah, you really did. It, it, truly, it truly did. And my child was reintroduced to the class in some of her classes as if it was her rebirthing. So we're going, you know, the schools, this is not a benign intervention. This affirmation only stance that they are taking when it comes to any child's identity, regardless of other issues that may be present, other co-occurring mental health issues. They are going way beyond essentially um, just supporting a child. They have crossed over into normalization and encouraging of this behavior. And the sharp increase that we are seeing in young adolescent vulnerable girls suddenly identifying as transgender is quite alarming and it shows us that this has really become a social contagion within our schools and so i spoke with chris um and if and if people are listening to the, the have listened to the first part of the podcast i mean these children are oftentimes it goes beyond i mean thank goodness your daughter told you and so you were able to step in but i know in other situations there are schools putting kids and helping kids get onto hormone replacement therapy meeting with doctors looking i mean all kinds of things without the parents consent or knowledge. that's right yeah, and you know, luckily, luckily we do live in Florida, and we are not as far into that area as Canada is. But here's the problem, Tiffany, is social transition is the first step toward medical transition, and that is not to be taken lightly. What mm -hmm. the schools are doing is taking a mental health decision and systematically cutting parents out where they can no longer protect their child. So I listened to some of the debate against HB 1557 
with, again, 200 other moms as we sat in the gallery listening. And it was the most disingenuous conversation or debate I had ever heard in my life um, about this bill that um, truly is about making sure that parents are a part of the process. And it was turned into something that became, oh, you don't want kids who have same-sex parents to be able to say that they have a mommy and a mommy. And, and that was never the case. And I heard the sponsor say, absolutely not. Nothing in the bill prohibits that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about instruction with children and talking about gender and sexual orientation in primary grades. And we're talking about, you know, involving parents in all levels and processes. And when I hear people, and there were people who are, are gay, speaking about the idea that somehow as a parent, they are going to be able to, they should be able to connect with my child because they share a sexual orientation more than me as the parent, because I may not share the same sexual orientation, blew my mind that somehow they were going to be like a sexual spirit guide for my child because I just don't get it anymore. And we're talking about children, my well, children. Tiffany, this is really about parental rights. Parents know and love their children more than anyone in this entire world. And they cannot be cut out of conversations occurring at school that will impact their physical, emotional, and mental well-being. Amen. That is, that is the bottom line. That is the law. That is what we are afforded under the U.S. Constitution. And one of the reasons that I started speaking out so publicly it, it's really it's really quite alarming. Once you see this, you can't unsee what's happening to these vulnerable girls. And many of these girls are in real pain. They have real distress and they are misdiagnosing that distress and being told a lie that they are born in the wrong body. Yeah. Just last month in Clay County, um, actually it was in January, a 12-year-old girl attempted suicide by trying to hang herself in the school restroom. Thankfully, she survived, but disturbingly, what has come to light and been well reported is that the school guidance counselor had been meeting in private with the child for months regarding her gender identity, and her parents had no idea. They were never informed or notified that their daughter was experiencing distress of any kind. No parents should have to find out that their daughter is in distress after she hangs herself or tries to hang herself at her elementary school. This is unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely. And so how, tell me, January, so I served as a school board member, and one of the things that you and I have discussed is the fact that a lot of this stuff isn't coming before votes, before the, the school correct. boards, right? So you, I know, since you, so tell me the name of the form again that your daughter was was put, you know, that your yeah, daughter signed. So I am so happy you brought that up because what I found in my research, and just so you're aware and your audience is aware, my husband and I are not litigious people. We had no intention of filing a federal lawsuit. We were trying very hard to resolve these issues and get the school to do the right thing without us even contacting lawyers. That was not even in our purview at the time when this violation first occurred. But the more research I did and the more I tried to get the school to show me their, I called it a policy in writing, but they continue to correct me, and this is important. That support plan they completed with my daughter was a part of an LGBTQ guide. And what I have found is there are counties all over Florida and frankly, all over the nation that use this same type of guide that comes from activist organizations. And the reason why parents have been in the dark 
because these have been around since about 2015, 2016, yep. is because they never went through school board approval, which means they never went through public comment, scrutiny, debate. And that's why they call them a guide right, instead because, of a policy. Because and a policy is just like a policy. Bible. Right. It is, it is just like a policy. I want you to get into that. But I just want to explain to people, in order to change policy in a school district, you have to notice that publicly. And you have to give a certain period of time for people to be aware and then you need to have a public hearing where people are able to come in. Parents, community members are able to come in and speak to the policy changes, whether or not they believe that they're good policy changes. And then and only then do you vote on it. So the idea that these things are happening through procedure, and they surely absolutely are, and I know you're going to talk about policy, they are policy. It is no yeah, doubt well, it is exactly policy, right. but it's a, but but the way that they're sneaking it in and the way that they're getting away and around the community and the parents from knowing about it is they are being deceptive and they're lying and they're pretending like it's procedure. Um, and so if you're a school board member in Florida or you're a school board member somewhere else, um, just a note to you, um, you better dig and start finding out and make sure it's known that you don't want anything going through that really should be policy. You know, I mean, you can you can at least put that notice out there and say, I'm concerned that there might be things happening that are actually really driving, um, really should be stated as policy, but are, are being done as procedure to keep it from me as a school board member. And, and you absolutely have the right to ask about that. So January, tell us about these uh, these forms. So these guides, and they're anywhere from 36 pages to 136 pages. It really varies, but it's full of gender ideology and propaganda, frankly. And within these guides, they are using these guides to train everybody from teachers to admin to the bus driver. And this was never going through the school board. Now, that does not mean that some of the school board members were not aware and not on board with this because that is absolutely not the case. There are school board members who participated in the All Together Now conference put on by Equality Florida for school personnel. When was that and held this is all, most recently? Just have curiosity. Um, so the only reason this even came to light is because in 2021, I believe it was March 2021, the conference was held virtually. Mm. And all of those sessions are available on the website. COVID lemonade, people, you know, I, we have been given a second chance to reclaim education and our country. And so all of these conferences that have been held in private that were invitation only became virtual and we have been able to get to see some of this and, and, and we need to, um, eyes wide open, uh, just really, really make sure that we're paying attention to, to what's happening. That's right. And please hear me. I do not want any child ever to be discriminated against to be bullied or to feel unsafe. Absolutely. But that is not what these guides are about. No, this these are about, about indoctrination into gender ideology, which is teaching children as young as five that you choose your gender identity and it's completely separate from biological sex. So in the glossary in some of these guides are terms that people may or may not be familiar with, such as gender fluid, non-binary, these are terms that, you know, up until 2014, 2013, very few people have even heard of. But now they're being taught to children as if this is a real sex that you can choose. Wow. It's quite alarming. And our children are being sold alive right now. So how many districts to lie? How many districts have you found this in in the state of Florida so far? So that gets a little bit tricky because 
Some of them have now been pulled. Mm. Some of the districts are hiding them. Um, they're, because of our lawsuit and the lawsuit now out of Clay County, I think a lot of school districts and the passing of the Parent Bill of Rights. But I will tell you, even with the, the passage of the Parent Bill of Rights and that becoming law in July of last year, the Clay County incident still happened. Yeah. So schools are still continuing to promote privacy from parents. That is something you will hear time and time again. And then you brought up the narrative of we must protect children from their parents, but only in this one area, Tiffany. Think about it. Any other time a parent is necessary for forms, paperwork, permissions, this is the only area where all parents are somehow deemed a danger to their children. Yep. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's a vulnerable place for kids. So they, they're reaching them in the most vulnerable time of their lives, especially middle school and my goodness, but these are, these children are young. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm like speechless when I think about the idea of removing a parent, you know, when I would visit schools and I would see, you know, signs that say you're safe here like I it always kind of struck me because I was kind of like well yeah okay they're safe they're safe a lot of places right you know but the idea that you're constantly telling children that you're safe at school you're not safe at home um and you know as a parent I have got four kids myself I don't want anyone in a school telling my child they can't talk to me about something or they should be scared to, to talk to me about something and I think truly by this continued conversation happening at school that parents are just not going to understand you they're just not going to get it you like we get it you know you're they, you may not be safe I mean it, it's setting up a wedge preemptively. So even if a child, you know, and, and, and it definitely bleeds into other areas, this idea, you know, that you're putting into kids' heads that parent, you know, the parents just don't understand. Um, we brought James Lindsay to our dinner uh, to speak to parents in Tallahassee because um, one of the things that James talks about is the building of the Red Guard in China. And um, he kind of likens some of, of, of what's happening in America and the indoctrination that we're seeing in our schools to that same idea of, you know, making the parents seem like they're just disconnected and can never really understand the America that these children are living in. They just don't get them. And that's a lie. Um, and, and so well, we need let to... me just, Go ahead. yeah, let me just read you a Q and a from the guide that has since been pulled okay. and rescinded in our County question. A student has exhibited behavior in school, leading administrators or teachers to believe the student is LGBTQ plus should the parents or legal guardians be notified. Answer, no. Outing a student, especially to parents, can be very dangerous to the student's health and well-being. As many as 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ+, many of whom have been rejected by their families for being LGBTQ+. Outing students to their parents can literally make them homeless. Wow. It does not get any more clear than that Q&A. Well, I mean, then you can start to think to yourselves, why is your child's sexual orientation or identity any business of the school? I mean, a child exhibits signs of being gay. So what? Like, okay, they're gay. Who cares? I mean, I just don't understand why the school is getting involved in, in that type of, uh, 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 in our children's sexual identity. I mean, when did we agree that that was something that the schools could, you know, help to raise our children in? Well, I think that that's a conversation for another time because this has been, this has been happening for a very long time yep. and parents were asleep at the wheel, myself included. Yeah. I had no idea 
about the social contagion. And, you know, frankly, when you when you find yourself in this situation and and what I say by social contagion, my daughter had shown no signs of distress leading up to this announcement. None. None. Wow. So this is not a typical case of gender dysphoria where there had been signs all along and something that she had been contemplating and, and thinking about and battling and experiencing distress with. And that's what we're finding is these girls, and unfortunately now we're seeing more and more boys, are suddenly... Rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's that's contagion. correct. And that's what Abigail's... Yeah, that's what Abigail Schreier's book is about and Dr. Lisa Littman, who, by the way, both of these women are very liberal women. Yeah. This is not a conservative issue. This issue, this social contagion is impacting people of all walks of life, all religions, all races, all faiths. I mean, it's it's really important to understand. And, and I think this is why gender ideology has become a unifying issue with parents because parental rights matter to all people. Yeah, they're not partisan. I keep saying that. And that's why I always think it's so interesting Moms for Liberty gets pegged as, I mean, we're a nonpartisan group. I respect your right to parent your child as long as the things that you're doing parenting your child are in accordance with the law. And so, you know, that's where it gets tricky with some of this stuff because there are things happening to some of these children and they're very young and they're irreversible as we spoke about. And, and so I think as a country, you know, we're going to have to kind of grapple with that. And I, and I know other countries have grappled with it as well. And Chris and I talk about that. Um, so, yes. you know, and, and that's something that's important. But the, the truth of the matter is that um, parents love their children. I believe all parents truly, even even if they are not always able to make the best decisions, I do believe that parents love their children. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's important to know that, and you just hit the nail on the head, there is no consensus in the medical or psychological community on the best course of treatment for children with distress over their sex. There isn't. Despite what you research, what you find, even what the APA and the Pediatric Association state, they are simply adopting standards of care from activist organizations. And the more you peel this away and start looking at where these standards came from, the evidence is very poor quality. And Sweden and Finland have completely abandoned their treatment of gender dysphoria with medicalization on minors, period. When you say medicalization... When you say medicalization, we're talking about hormone replacement therapy and then um, puberty blockers, puberty blockers, surgeries. surgeries. Okay, so we're talking. Yes. I mean, that's one of the things Chris mentions, and I'll state it again: blows me away. Over forty thousand uh, young women and girls on GoFundMe looking to raise money for what they call top surgery or double mastectomies, um, and uh, just blowing my mind. So, January, two things before we go, I want to talk about. I want to talk about these girls, and, and I know there are a lot of moms listening or dads listening, and I, and they're kind of thinking to themselves. I was like, how are the kids being exposed to it, right? Your daughter um, sure. was exposed to this from, you know, with some other friends, and that's the way the kids work, right? But where are they getting it? And I know I've heard a lot is coming from social media. So can we give like a little heads up to parents about some of the ways this is spreading across the country and their kids might be finding out about it? Absolutely. So social media is absolutely a factor. Um, GSA clubs in school. Okay. TikTok, there are a lot of trans influencers on TikTok, um, YouTube, Discord, DeviantArt, Reddit. These are websites that also 
tend to spread the social contagion. So get on your kid's phone and start seeing what they're, what, what apps they have and what they're looking at and what they're doing, you know, with parental rights come responsibilities and we can't just complain. We need to get in there and we need to start disrupting some of this from our houses. I'm against kids having smartphones. I know that that's controversial, but I, as a mental health professional, I have, I just don't see the upside versus the risk. No one's doing a proper risk analysis. Yeah. And there are alternatives now. You know, I hear time and again, well, I have to be able to communicate with my child. You know, my my husband and I divorced. They have after-school activities. There are alternatives. There is the GAD phone. There are other phones that actually look just like a smartphone but don't have internet. So I just would caution parents. I, I mean, I did all the right things, Tiffany. We had Bark. My daughter did not have social media. It didn't matter. She was still getting um, the propaganda from her friends through the text messages. Yeah. No, I mean, it's something we have to, we have to as parents kind of, you know, I mean, this is a scary thing because, you know, I've talked to a lot of different people and they talk about transition for people that perhaps are, you know, transgender and truly transgender, not the rapid onset stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of, 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 uh, research to show that waiting a while, waiting a little bit until you're older and you can make better decisions is, is better, right? I've I've also read a lot of detransition well, right. stories that of people saying, you know, this is a path I went down and I was really too young to make that decision, and now you know I will never be able to have children again. Um, well, you that's know. exactly <laughs> right, and we know from brain development and child development that brains are not fully developed in terms of judgment and and ability to make sound decisions until age 25. And children with ADHD, it's even later. And so this notion that we truly believe that a child can consent to this level of irreversible change to their bodies is frankly ludicrous. Well, and I know that there's not allow a child to make any other permanent choice or change to their bodies in this manner. No, I mean, if you brought your child in, if your child said, I really don't like having a right foot, I heard this argument made and it makes, you know, I don't like having a right foot. It's not the, it's a, it's a not a good looking foot. I doesn't feel like it belongs on my body. And you brought your child to the doctor and said, please amputate my child's right foot. Um, the doctor wouldn't be allowed to do that. You can't just cut off a healthy limb like that. Um, and so, and, 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 and when, then when you think about what's happening right now with the puberty blockers and, and hormone replacement therapy and, um, with a lot of the different surgeries that are happening, these again, irreversible, and they're taking away the child's right to procreate, which is important. Well, right. And there used to be safeguarding in place. So what you brought up when you would watch and wait called watchful waiting, this is what a lot of the gender specialists and experts in the field like Dr. Kenneth Sucker, used to advocate for. And so, unfortunately, these voices are being silenced because there are doctors and endocrinologists speaking out against the harms. We are experimenting on children in live time, Mm. in real time. A lot of these girls, up to 40% that are falling prey to this ideology, are on the autism spectrum. Wow. So if so parents affirm, yep. they take their child to a gender clinic, which, by the way, in 2007, there was one pediatric gender clinic. Today, uh, I, I've lost count. As this is America? How least, many do you think? There's at least 65, but there's a woman by the name of Alex. She runs the gender mapper. If you include private doctor's offices that also are prescribing these, which include OBGYNs and endocrinologists, she estimates there's over 300. Wow. And so, so if you look at her map, yeah. in any major city, you can find a pediatric gender doctor 
who will prescribe your child puberty blockers or hormones. Well, and there's very little safeguarding in place right now. I'll take it one step further. I went to, I took my uh, 14-year-old son to his checkup at the pediatrician, his yearly checkup. And um, he's gone to him since he was a baby. And the pediatrician and I get along well. And he's a pretty down-to-earth guy, a dad, right? And um, always very frank discussion, you know, about the kids and development and, and, and the like. And, and so I had asked him, we had had discussions about the American Academy of Pediatrics during the masking because I was so just, you know, frustrated. And, and it was so fresh. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics says it's not a big deal, that it's okay to wear a mask because your baby doesn't need to see your face. That's not going to affect their, their development. And, you know, every mother knows that's a lie, right? You know your baby needs to see your face. That's an important part of parenting and mothering. Um, I, and, I, and so he said to me when I was in there, he said, you know, if your son told me right now that he thought that maybe he was a girl, I'm supposed to then arrange to meet with him privately outside of you. That's what the American Academy of Pediatrics is telling these pediatricians now, that they should affirm, you know, whatever it is that the child is saying um, at the pediatrician's office. So, you know, truly, it's every pediatrician's office has now become a, a, a place where this can be happening behind your back. That is so unethical and frightening, frankly. Because what used to be treated as a mental health issue, and again, I come from this at a place of immense compassion for these children yes. who are genuinely struggling. Even if it's rapid onset, Tiffany, these kids are in pain and they need a skilled therapist to help them identify their real source of pain and look beyond gender. Because more times than not, and this is why we're seeing so many detransitioners, like I said before, they are misdiagnosing their pain and being sold a lie, if they simply transition, which they're, they're being told that that's an easy process, by the way, like double mastectomies or top surgery, no big deal. Right. But they're being sold this lie that if they do this, all their problems will disappear. Everything finally, was related right. to their gender issue because they were born in the wrong body. And then when they do this, they take these steps. Their brain starts to fully mature more. They recognize this was not my source of pain. It was the trauma that I experienced or bullying or I just felt uncomfortable with my pubescent body. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons. And this is a very complex issue that needs a skilled clinician to help parents and that child get to the source of the issue. Yeah, I mean, and I think right now and, and, and again, COVID, right? So here, what do we do? We close schools. We force these kids into their bedrooms, into their homes, isolate them from everyone else. Kids were depressed. They were anxious. They were trying to keep up with school. Right. That was making them anxious. They were isolated. Right. They were driven onto technology. I mean, so everything primed us for this moment to be dealing with these children now. And, and they're so open to this issue. You know, it, it, it really drove us to this place. And, and so, you know, as scary as it is, I am thankful that we are making this public, that you are brave enough to speak out. Thank you for doing that. Every time I watch you speak, I am so proud and so thankful that you are willing to sound the alarm so that other parents do not have to go through this with their children. Um, and so January, I just want to thank you for coming on. And then can you, what advice do you have for parents? And, and let's look at it from a, the perspective of for, for a parent who isn't even hearing about this yet, right? And so, you know, how sure. to, and then, and then if there are parents that are listening in your and you are struggling with this issue and you're trying to help your child in their lives to deal with um, perhaps, you know, some questions about their gender identity. Um, you know, what advice for them? That's a great question. And it's an important question um, because I want to leave your audience with hope. And 
There are a lot of people fighting for the truth to come out. There are a lot of people shedding a light on this issue. I would tell parents, inquire as to what the, the protocol at your school is. Make sure they are following the Constitution and the Parent Bill of Rights. If you're in a different state, find out what your state laws and your criminal rights are in that law in that state. Um, but know what your schools are doing. Know their position on this. Are they going to cut you out of conversations if your child is in distress about anything, not just about gender? This is a really important aspect of where you're sending your child to school. The other thing I would say is do your research. Know what kids are being exposed to. Look into gender ideology. See what your kids are learning because I can guarantee you they are learning this from somewhere. It's in all types of of our culture now. It has permeated every single aspect. Our movies, our social media, ads. Children's shows. The, the, children's the shows. I mean, animated children's shows. Mm-hmm. They're one of the biggest dispensers of cross-sex hormones, and they and they give them out as if they're birth control. Wait, say that again. Planned Parenthood is, is distributing, so that's taxpayer-funded. Well, yes, and it's they are one of the biggest distributors of cross-sex hormones. Great. And so what I would say is know this issue and start having conversations with your children. If you wait until your child is in distress, it's a lot harder to have the conversation. So I think we need to really think about, and so January um, is uh, Moms for Liberty uh, member. And, um, you know, I think January, what we need to do going forward, and, and Moms for Liberty chapters are fighting for parental rights all over the country because we recognize how important that Parents' Bill of Rights is to have and, and to build on, um, to put that stake in the ground. But I do think we need to look at creating guides on how to talk to your children about some of these issues preemptively without exposing them to things that they're not really ready for. You know, it was so interesting to me. I, I ran into a parent when I was at CPAC who, brought me, um, show me an email. And it was all about, um, it was the Black Lives Matter curriculum that was going to be done at, at their, at his son, at his daughter's school, excuse me. And she's in third grade. This was Washington state. And he said, um, he said, so I have to talk about all this stuff with her before she goes to school. It was trans affirming queerness or something. And, um, he was like, so what am I supposed, he's like, how do you, how do I talk to my eight-year-old, nine-year-old about this issue? Because if I don't talk to her about it first, she's going to hear about it from school. And so I think we need to talk about it. And if you're listening and you have some ideas, please reach out to Moms for Liberty. We really want to be able to start talking to our children about some of these issues that we really don't feel like they're ready to hear about. But my goodness, they hear, need to hear about it from us before they hear about it from someone else, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And I, I help parents every week. And that's, you know, that's what keeps me continuing to speak out is... Every week I get contacted by two to three families at least who have just begun the same nightmare that my family has been walking through for two years now. Wow. And so it's, it continues to happen over and over. The cycle seems to be unending, um, but it's going to take a rising up of parents and it's going to take truth tellers. Yeah, it is going to take truth tellers. It's going to take truth tellers from within schools too. So I will close with this. Parents. If you are going through this and you need help, please reach out to Moms for Liberty. We will try to find help for you in your area. 
um, and resources for you. Um, we are doing everything we can to stop this madness and to save our children. And we are trying to build coalitions across the country and working to help make that happen between different parent groups and legal firms and lots of different people that are concerned about this issue too and want to help to support parents to fight back against our children being indoctrinated in our schools in a lot of different ways. If you are a parent of a child who is transgender, um, we want to hear from you too. We want to understand, you know, we want to, we, we want every child to feel loved and safe and accepted and valued. Um, but we do want to create some boundaries between what schools are talking to our kids about. It feels like those boundaries have really been wiped away. And as parents, we need to, you know, redraw those lines and, and say to the schools, listen, we will partner with you, but we will not co-parent with you. And uh, there are some things that, that should be left up to the parents to be able to direct, to direct. Anything in closing January? Any words of wisdom for our parents? Nope. Just, you know, continue to work on the relationship with your child. Don't allow school policies to drive a wedge between you and your child. And I think the rest will work itself out. That's my, my best advice is have these conversations with your children, no matter difficult, no matter how difficult it is for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, January. You are truly the epitome of a joyful warrior. And we are very thankful for everything that you were doing. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand. Our children. Our choice. Our future.